You see, uh, you see Svechnikov's goal the other day. Who what now? The Michigan goal. I did not see it. No, it was so dirty. Um, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes actually tweeted something um, today where he was. It said, uh, uh, "Class is now in session." Teacher Svechnikov, uh, pupil or student, these other two players, and they were sitting behind the net trying to do it. And they, I bet you, they took honestly ten times. Svechnikov's in the background, does it once, puts it on his stick and holds it, sets it back down, players try again. He just picks it right up, throws it in the net, and skates off. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. You want to know how much I like you, Farzy? Or how committed my commitment level is to the Farwell and Pope podcast. Oh, I know you like me. Yeah. Your commitment to this podcast is second to none. Do you want to know my commitment to our duties as Kitchener Ranger broadcasters? I do actually want to know your commitment to that. Shout out my friend Mark Farmer and his now wife, Teresa. Hang on a second. You've got a friend whose last name is Farmer. You could have ended that sentence with friend. Good point. And I'm only learning... About your friend Farmer now? Yes. Oh, there are so... You're from Palmerston, right? Palmerston. A lot of farmers up Mark that way. is actually from just outside of Toronto, Mississauga, if you've ever heard of that. Saga. Uh, Mark Farmer and his now wife, Teresa, are getting married today on Friday. And I am missing it because of this podcast and because of our broadcast for the Kitchener Rangers. Can I tell you something? First of all, deep down, I'm sure that Mark and his... Blushing bride to be Teresa are wonderful people. Former re- former roommate of mine, Teresa or Mark. Mark, thank you. But I'm not so sure. I mean, it's a wedding. It's it's a November wedding. Yeah. Do they not like one another? What's the deal with this? Uh, I think they just wanted Mark to have a mustache for his wedding photos. I like it. A hundred years ago, give or take, my cousin, my cousin, first cousin, got married. On a Saturday during hockey season. Ah. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. I admire your commitment. You're here right now yep. instead of there at the farmer wedding. Yes. Man, that's just got hillbilly My written all over farmer roommate. It. I feel awful. I really do. But see, I still, to this day, feel awful. And I, I remember the Saturday because I had to be in Plymouth. Plymouth is no longer in the Ontario Hockey League. What's up, Flint? I like seeing you in the top 10. Keep it up, Firebirds. But that goes to show how long ago it was. I still harbor some guilt. Sarah, Michael, you're a lovely couple. I'm sorry I missed your wedding. Great. So that guilt's not going to go away for me, eh? Well, it's farmer. Yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. Anyway, I hope it was a wonderful day. So there's uh, Mark's shout out on the Farwell and Pope podcast. I mentioned it is November. Uh, Movember, a lot of people rocking the mustaches, including myself and numerous players across the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, raising awareness for men's health. So do your part. If you want to donate to somebody's Movember, please do. But it is uh, just a great opportunity to raise awareness and some money um, for preventing men dying so young. November is also National Diabetes Awareness Month. Mark Woolley, a member of the Own Sound Attack, plays this game with diabetes, type 1. And uh, so too did Max Domi. We got a chance to catch up with Mark, who has launched a foundation, Woolies Warriors, in support of diabetes awareness. 
you've mentioned in the past one of those older guys that when you came into the league was Garrett McFadden. Is he still a guy that you look look to when you're now an older guy? Yeah, I mean he was he was a great captain my first uh, my first year in the league, and um, I still stay in contact with him when I can uh, every now and then. But yeah, he's he's a great great leader and great role model for me, so I, de- I definitely look up to him. You've talked in the past about, uh, I was reading an article, it was when you first came into the league, just about how tough it was to move away from home and being a diabetic as well, how that you managed that on your own for the first time. Are you still going through that on a daily basis, still trying to figure it out? Yeah, I, I don't think that'll, that'll ever end, yeah. if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but it's it's something I have for the rest of my life, and it's something I've I've had for quite some time now. So you learn little tricks and little things to do on a regular basis to kind of keep that in check. But, yeah, it's it's not something that's going to go away anytime soon, right? So just kind of learn those little strategies to kind of help keep in check. How much of a role model do you want to be to some young kids who have you know, the, the same issues as you and are wondering how you do it. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, one of the goals with, with my foundation that I started in the summer, Woolies Warriors, yeah. was to, to kind of be a role model for those younger athletes and show them that, you know, don't let your diabetes define you and kind of don't let it get in, in the way of your goals and dreams. So, um, yeah, just show them everything that I've accomplished so far and everything that uh, that they can accomplish in their future. Garrett has had his foundation. You have Woolies Warriors, as you mentioned. How's that been so far? It's it's awesome. We uh, we just did uh, a check presentation against Flint uh, the other night for nine thousand dollars. So um, that itself has already uh, beaten our goal by a landslide. So it, it's been a great start, and we have uh, Woolies Warriors night coming up November 9th, So I'm looking forward to that, and yeah, just uh, all the uh, all the support so far is greatly appreciated. When you started it. Where did that come from? Where did you just one morning you woke up and you're like, you know what, I'm doing it? Um, it's, it's actually been in the back of my mind for quite some time now. I think it all started when uh, I saw what Garrett was doing in Guelph my rookie year and, and kind of that um, the impact you can have on the community away from the ice. And he kind of showed me um, how to do it and, and what he does. So um, I kind of just decided to launch it this summer. And, and yeah, it's, it's been great so far. How much day-to-day work is there involved in something like that? Uh, it, it's a lifestyle, right? It's it's not just the foundation itself, but um, like you said earlier, being a role model and, and doing those things on a regular basis to, to kind of have those kids look up to you. So it, it's it's part of my life now, and I'm going to embrace it. And, yeah, it's I, I love every second of it. You mentioned the check presentation, $9,000, the kids and wanting to be that role model. What's some of the feedback you've gotten? It, it's great. I mean, from, from a few families, uh, especially, I've I brought... Um, families out to games with, with type 1 diabetes as well and just kind of chat with them about um, how they go about things and how I go about things and, and just kind of being that support system for them. So, um, yeah, it's it's great, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have more uh, more people come out in the future. You've mentioned in the past Max Domi. He's been very vocal about diabetes as well. Is there uh, any relationship there between you two going through it? Uh, I don't personally know him, no. He's, he's always been one of my biggest role models, uh, though, growing up. Um, even before uh, I was diagnosed, he was just always a player that I, uh, I grew up watching back home in London. So um, he's, he's a, a huge role model for me. And, yeah, if, if we were to ever meet in the future, that would be awesome. But uh, as of right now, no, there's, there's no connection there. We'll get him out for a Woolies Warriors event for sure, no? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. He's, he just launched his own thing with uh, JDRF. So uh, that's, that's great for him. And uh, I'm really proud of that. So uh, he's, he's a busy man. But we'll, we'll see what we can do in the future, yeah. I got to say, I love it when players, particularly at this level, get involved in stuff like that. Like, good on you, Mark Woolley and Woolley's Warriors. Use your platform. Do something with it. It's a platform that not a lot of 
teenagers have. Way to go. Uh, just like Jacob, Jacob Bingham. We talked to the broadcast. I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast, actually, uh, about why Jacob wears number 68. Fantastic story. Used to wear number one when he came into, this, into the league. His grandparents got in a very scary car crash when driving home in northern Ontario. Um, they both made it, um, but they needed blood transfusions. And obviously, Jacob took this to heart and was quite concerned with his family. Um, so he became an advocate of giving blood through Hockey Gives Blood. He wears 68 because he feels the 6 looks like a G and the 8 looks like a B for give blood. That's why he wears number 68. And Ingham and his family are donating $5 for every save he makes this season to Hockey Gives Blood uh, in honor of the Canadian Blood Services. Um, and the Rangers are going to match it. So $10 for every save Jacob Ingham makes this season will go to Canadian Blood Services. Love when players use their platform. Yeah, he'd been involved with uh, Hockey Gives Blood since that crash, as you mentioned, and uh, he was up in Barrie, where he's from, over the summer, just before the season began, doing a Hockey Gives Blood initiative. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. It's fantastic, and that's a pretty cool way to settle on your number. Right? Changing the number, too. That's... That's bold. As well a goaltender? Done. Well done. Guy carries his glove on the bus all the time. Don't even and he's get me changing st- his number. That that shows that it obviously means a lot. Don't even get me started with stuff like that. What a weird kid. Go- well, he's not a weird kid. He's a very nice kid. But goaltenders are a little odd, Mike. Should we talk about goaltenders a little bit? Because sure. we got into this uh, to some degree at the beginning of our most recent broadcast. And by the way, he's Pope at underscore Chris Pope on Twitter. I'm Farwell. Hi. At Farwell underscore OHL. We broadcast Kitchener Rangers games. You can listen at 570news.com or on the Radio Player Canada app. Real quick, at the recording of this podcast, over $4,000 already given to Canadian Blood Services because of all the action Jacob Ingham's seen this year. He has seen an awful lot. And he is, as we just mentioned, native of Barrie. So not just Ontario-born, but Canadian-born goaltender. We look around this league, and this ties into one of our most recent broadcasts, 570news.com, Radio Player Canada app. Yes, we broadcast Kitchener Rangers games, but we talk about this league. We bring you great guests, just kind of like we do on this podcast. And we got into an interesting discussion. Now, you, Popper, are a former goaltender. You're still a goaltender because you're weird, (laughs) just liking him. I don't know if I call myself an active goaltender. You're weird. Here we are. That that part of it stands, and I stand by that. That's fair. In this league right now, like if we gaze across the Ontario Hockey League. Mm -hmm. And if I were to tell you that there were, well, let me me put it this way. How many goaltenders do you think have a goals against average sub 3.0? And does that even matter? Five, and yes, it does matter. Yes, you're correct, and... Why does it matter? Why is goal, what, What's better? Goals against average? Save percentage. Well, Same think, percentage, obviously. Yeah, well, yes and no. I think they're both, they're kind of intertwined, sadly. I, I get the goals against average. Um, save percentage is great, but goals against average is goals against. How many goals are you letting in? What is your job as a goaltender? Stop the puck. Both stats matter. There's a lot of different things that go into both stats, but if a shot comes in from the red line and it's going in the net and you make an easy save, that counts as a save. That's going to affect your save percentage. It's also going to affect um, that player's shot total, but it's not going to affect your goals against average. If it's a three on O, like we saw in the NHL in overtime the other night and the puck goes in, that affects your goals against average and your save percentage. 
Stop the puck. I think both stats are fine, but you need to look at both and take them with a grain of salt. Cedric Andre, Nico Dawes, who got a shout-out on the podcast last week, Hunter Jones, Mac Guzda, and Arturs Silovs have the goals against averages. That are sub-3 right now. So Barry, Owen Sound, Guelph, Ottawa. Who Peter am I missing? Bro. Oh, Peter, Peter Hunter Jones, Jones, of course. And there is one more goaltender who holds north of 900 in save percentage, and that would be Daniel Mur- No, I'm looking at that wrong. I'm looking at that wrong. Yeah, you're looking at the goals against average. I'm looking or, at the goals against average. Yeah. Let me just uh, reset that. Okay. And if we look at save percentage, we've got a whole lot more guys. A whole Over 900? Guys. Over 900? Yeah. How many do you think? Eight. 14. All Over the way, 900. All the way down to Daniel Murphy in Erie at 901. And How many do you think there? stay there by the end of the year over 900? Then again, Dylan Miskew, can we count him? Yeah, exactly. 971, but he's played two games. Yeah, there's been a, there's still a lot of teams trying to figure out their goaltending situation, so a lot of teams still going 50-50, and I think that's where you find numerous goaltenders from the team in those stats because you have to hit a certain amount of games played. If we're talking elite goaltenders in this league, I... I cut the number at five, and I think I'm maybe being generous. When you at look five, when you look around the league, it is well. And we we talked about it last week on the podcast when it was the Jordan Coy trade to Sarnia, so London could get Dylan Miskew and his nine seventy one save percentage through two games. Let's be realistic yeah. about this. But one and a half because he came in relief. Goaltending is without question the key position, and the teams that have goaltending in the Ontario Hockey League this year are the teams that are making some noise. If you don't have goaltending, or if you don't have a standout in goal, you need a team like Guelph built. And there aren't a lot of teams that are prepared to do that. Goaltending is a make or break in this league. If you don't have goaltending, you won't win. End of story. And for some reason, goaltending in the Ontario Hockey League lacks. And Hockey Canada, in its infinite wisdom, they made a mistake on this one. I think they recognized they made a mistake on this one. When they began to prevent teams from drafting an import goaltender. Silly move. Like, I, I guess I get it in theory. The idea is let's create some more homegrown goaltending talent. But the homegrown goaltending talent wasn't a coming. And so they finally lifted that ban and you can start drafting import goaltenders again, hello UPL in Sudbury last year, etc. But this is something that's been kind of stuck in your craw for quite some time. Well, it has, just because they, they want to grow Canadian goaltenders, but they just did it so butt backwards, if you will. And that's for my under-17 listeners to the podcast, Attaboy. butt backwards. The future uh, farmer babies. Exactly. Um, if we think back a couple of years ago, I think it was my first year with you, so three three years ago. This is my third year on the broadcast team, on the radio side, and Michael DiPietro was cut from the World Junior team. And I said, see, the CHL and Hockey Canada want to invest in homegrown goaltenders and want to grow goaltending in Canada. You have one in Michael DiPietro, a star in the making, and they cut him. They cut him from the World Junior team. That's how they treated their goaltender that they've built up. But going back to the grassroots level, there's nothing. Hockey Canada did nothing. Nothing at all. They started it in in talking with somebody more familiar with the situation. They pointed out 
that they start worrying about these goaltenders at the age of 14, 15, a year or two out of their draft year. It's too late. What are you doing then? You ever tried to change what a 14 or 15-year-old thinks? Good luck. They're too far in their development as a goaltender themselves, and Hockey Canada didn't invest in the 9- and 10-year-old goaltenders where you're just starting to hone the position and really take it. There's kids every day that think, oh, I'm going to try goaltender. Oh, I really like goaltender. There's 9- or 10-year-olds out there playing AAA that have no goaltending coach. There's 9- or 10-year-olds out there going to hockey camps everywhere. I helped coach at one this year under a former Kitchener Ranger. They had no goaltender out there. If you are a parent and you're sending your kid to a hockey school where there is not a specific goaltending coach, save your money because they're just a target. And yep, you can learn a lot by facing shots. I think facing shots as a young goaltender is great for you and great for your development. You need to learn how to stop the puck. But if nobody's teaching you the technical side of the game and the the mental side of the game, there's no point. And that's where you fail. There's no point of trying to teach these kids in their 14, 15 year or 13, 14 and then they're a year out from their OHL draft. You want to know why goaltenders aren't picked early. That's why. Because they're relying on the God-given talent that some of these goaltenders have. And I'd be interested to talk with a guy like Ben Goudreau at Sarnia. And that's my goal when we go there and we see him. Is to figure out what kind of coaching he got growing up. Because in the little video I've seen from Ben Goudreau, he's technically extremely sound. You need to send your kids to specific goaltending schools those are the ones that they're going to learn the most from not just joe blows hockey school or can-am or stars or whatever hockey school there is out there because all the coaches and all the all the trainers and people the instructors are former players they just say goalie pick the net thanks man good to know hockey canada blew an, a golden opportunity i think they need to readdress it and reinvest in young goaltenders at the core, get them into those programs early and get them going for four or five years where they're learning that technical side of the game and building on it, moving forward into their draft, not just a year or two before. Let me pull something right out of the air for you, outsider looking in to all of this, because you're speaking about this from the position of a guy who played the position. I used to joke all the time, parents, tie your kids, if you give birth to that boy, tie your young boys right arm behind his back, force him to be a lefty. He becomes a left-handed reliever, one of the most coveted position in sport, and you've got your meal ticket. Doesn't it seem obvious that if you want, like we look at parents, hockey parents in rinks now, and it's all about the next Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. Doesn't it make some sense, given the absolute dearth of goaltending in Canada right now? Parents, make your kids the next goalie. Or is that one of those positions where it's just too damn expensive? We talk about this with the game of hockey now and wondering if if it's why we might see a bit of a decline in enrollment, in numbers, in minor hockey, because it's kind of becoming a bit of an elite sport because you got to have the money to be able to play. Hockey, it just goes up because the equipment is that much more expensive. I know a family in Waterloo, their son... Tremendous young goaltender. Wagler was the last name. And I say in the past tense because this kid was 15 when he had his first hip operation. And you know, but you look at the style the the goaltenders play today. 
I, I don't know. I, I would like to think that if you want your kid to be a professional hockey player, get them in goal early, get them the training that they might need that you've already spoken about. But are we reluctant to do that because of the cost? Are we reluctant to do that because of the injuries? Are we reluctant to do that because we don't know that that might be the meal ticket? I'm just throwing that out there. I think the mentality of those parents is I don't want my kid facing shots and getting hurt. The equipment nowadays is built that the, it's almost impossible for the goaltender to get hurt from a shot. You think? Unless you're getting it in the head. Like, with right? How many times do we have to look at the pictures of Ken Dryden yeah. circa 1978 and Patrick Waugh circa 1998? Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. The, the, the gear built now is there's so much technology in it that you almost, like, I didn't wear the new stuff because I really liked to feel the puck. I wanted it to hurt. I wanted to know where it hit me so I knew where the rebound was going a little more. The stuff now is just so bulky, I feel like you're meant to be a blocker. I was never a blocker, despite the size of me. I probably should have been. Um, but no, I, I don't think the goaltending is the best way. If you want your, like, if you're a parent sitting at home and you think, I want my kid to make it to the next level. I don't know if goaltending's that position. I don't think it ever has been. There's only room for two on a team. There's only 62 of them in the National Hockey League. There, there's four lines of forwards and three lines of defense. There's lots of players that make a make a team. There's only two every year that get to make a certain hockey team, and a rep team, if you will, or an, uh, an entry-level team, whatever team your kid's going for. There's only two spots, um, and I think that's why some parents steer away from it. I also think the fear of the player or the goaltender getting hurt um, but from a player standpoint, it's you need to be a special person. As much as we joke around about the mentality of a goaltender, the mental game is so important because there's not another profession in this world where you make one mistake, a red light goes on, and 7,000 people stand up at the odd and cheer. There's no other profession. A defenseman gets beat at the blue line, guess what? Why didn't the goalie stop it? Forward coughs the puck up at the red line. Why didn't the goalie stop it? I had a goaltending coach once, Mike, that told me I should stop every single shot. I said, it's a three on oh. You should stop that shot. That is your job. That's the mentality you have to have. So the mental game for a goaltender is so strong. And especially if you get down three goals early, you still need to be on your game because you, your team could come back and score four. It's so hard to get down on yourself. And all of a sudden you're like, I suck today. Oh, man, I'm going to get pulled soon. Next thing you know, it's eight Cobb, and it's your first junior game in Stratford. Speaking from experience? Yes, yes I thought so. <laughs> I think it was six when I got pulled, but carry on. Two goaltenders out of the U.S. development program drafted in the first round to the NHL in the past four years. Can you think back, Popper, in that brain of yours to the last time a Canadian-born goaltender was taken in the first round of the National Hockey League. Yeah, it, it has to be at least at least five years. I'm sure there's one, but the first name that came to mind was Carey Price. There there definitely hasn't been a difference maker. I'll say that. Yeah, well, and Carey Price went in Sidney Crosby's draft year, 2005. Yeah. Carey Price went fifth. Malcolm Subban. Yeah. Yeah, that Subban went from Belleville to Boston, first round, 24th overall, 2012. 14? 12. 2012. Two yeah, years it's a long before, time. Two years before that, Mark Visentine. And I'll tell you what, I watched Mark Visentine in this Ontario Hockey League. Same. Popper, I would have put, put money on him. Yeah. I would have put money on that kid. First round to the team that doesn't even exist anymore. Well, they do. They call him Arizona now, but he went first round to Phoenix back in 2010. Well, and that goes to the mentality 
of it. Vicentine got cornered behind some pretty good goaltenders that Phoenix had. Um, Mike Smith. They had um, uh, they had Varlam uh, not Varlamov. What's uh, uh, the crazy one? Bobrovsky. But no, the crazy no. one. Which cra- uh, they're all crazy. No, they Jacob got, Ingham takes his no, glove the, on the bus. The, the Russian that talked about his bears in the woods and stuff. Oh, I yeah. can't remember. He went his name. to Philadelphia. Yeah. Too. Anyway, um, I, this is someone asked me if I if I gamble on the NHL. I said I probably watch three games a year. I'm far too invested in this Ontario Hockey League. Um, it's one of those things where that mentality aspect. Vicentine had the real bad World Junior and couldn't recuperate. Yeah, it's it's a tough position, and I just think Hockey Canada blew a golden opportunity, and, and they I really think they do and should reinvest, but just go to the grassroots and build programs for goaltenders. We see these like these junior players playing in every single tournament and they have 18 different games in the CHL and the OHL showcasing these players for scouts who see them 35 times a year anyway. But what do we do for these young goaltenders? I don't know. Put them on a team. Let them see some pucks. All right. There's uh, so much to talk about on the podcast this week. Uh, We've got our buddy Sam Cause, who's out with his latest rankings of junior players for the June NHL draft. They've changed a little bit from October to November. And of course, you just mentioned all of these different opportunities for players to be seen by scouts. We're in the midst of, as we record this episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast, the CHL Russia series. And they're coming through Ontario this week as we release this episode of the podcast. Just before we get to that stuff, can I take a moment? Do you mind? Can I? Please. Just, just a moment. Just one. Just. I just want to take one moment. My mic is now turned. Very well done. I, I want to take a moment. And, and Pope's moment of silence is for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And the, I mean, it's been great. And and I've loved every minute of it. I, I, I say this with utmost sincerity, even though it's the longest trip we have to take. From Kitchener, every year we go up twice to play the Sioux. And I know I've got nothing to complain about when it comes to travel. But I love it. I love the Sioux. I love what Kyle Raftis is doing up there. I love the food in the media room. I love you, Sioux St. Marie. I love your new inflatable. Before that, you got rid of the one that looked like a rat. And it's actually a doghouse now. Everything is great. Except that run of going to at least the second round, which the team has done since 2014, um, I mean, it's early, but after a 4-0 and start, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds have won two of their past 13 hockey matches. I mean, every time I check the scores, it seems that the Sioux Greyhounds have lost another game. I feel for you, Sue. I feel for you. This is tough. Why the... Sorry, my mic was still off. Put your mic back on. Um, you can talk now. Yeah. Sorry, that, that was longer than a moment. No, that's I'd... fine. I've had my moments throughout this podcast. Um, be careful, though. I think that suit team still could sneak into the playoffs, and, and you don't have to look too far back. I hope it does. I hope it does. The, honestly, Sarnia, the Sarnia Sting traded for Travis Konechny in 2016 and a couple others. I can't remember who. Konechny was the big one, and the Sioux finished seventh, and they ousted him. Wow, well, but then you got the Sarnia jinx to worry I'm about. I'm just saying. Too, right? since, See you later. Since Stamkos, my friend. Yeah. Since Stamkos. So, listen, I, I honestly... It's I been mean, a tough goal. It I, has. I tried to address their defense, bringing in Billy Constantino. Nope. Has not worked. Barrett Hayton. He ain't not coming back. back. No, they just renamed their this name to Captain Ryan O'Rourke. So I mean, again, I honestly I, I love it and these things have to happen, but it just seems to be 
Like it wasn't, it wasn't a slow. It was like off the ledge, four and zero, oh, and you're starting to think, okay, something's cooking in the Sioux. Well, two wins in thirteen games. That is a little bit nasty. I'd like to regurgitate some of the crow I ate at the start of the season because I mentioned at the start of the season, very start, I said uh, for Sioux Saint Marie Greyhounds, the the year you th- or for the year everyone thought the Greyhounds were going to have last year is here this year. And then they came out of the gates buzzing, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm wrong again. Why do I keep betting against Kyle Raftis? And now, oh, I was right to begin with. A year ago. Well, no, earlier this year, I said this is going to be the year that everyone thought last year was going to be. So I was implying that they were going to rebuild, but then they got off to such a hot start. I thought, oh, I got to eat crow on this team. They're going to be good. It's early. We're we're not allowed to talk about the standings till next week. That's when teams will have... You can talk about wins in as many games. So, like, if you had a team that has one win in 14 games, that's not good. You know what that team is. This is where we're getting close to that quarter point. We're at 17 games, a quarter of the way through the season. You have a really good understanding of what a team is. I'm looking forward to next week's podcast when we can start talking about standings. Oh, this is going to be fun, Paul. I think that'll only take us to 16 games, Mike. (sighs) Come on. Some of them will be 17. We'll start working it in. Nope. Don't you worry about Every it. Every team has to have 17 games in, and then we can talk about where a team is in the standings. All right. Speaking of games and the number of games, look, I've been I've been preaching from this pulpit for many a year now, so I'll keep it brief. But I will say, as we are in the midst of the CHL Russia series right now, and they're swinging through the Ontario Hockey League as we speak this week, games in Kitchener and in London, I honestly, I like, I mean this sincerely. I don't understand. I don't understand why all the extra games. You've got a 68-game season. 68 games. That's a hell of a lot of games. That's 14 fewer than the pros, for crying out loud. Yeah, that's a lot. 68-game schedule. You've got U-17s. You've got U-18s. You've got the U-20s, what we like to call the World Junior Hockey Championships. You've got the top prospect game. And on top of all of that, and I recognize... Different players for each one of these tournaments we're discussing, but still, on top of all of that, you've got to add in this CHL Russia series that swings from the Q through the O into the dub. Stop the madness with all of the hockey games. Please, just stop. It's it's too much. I love hockey. Enough. I want to do... I'm, I'm okay with cutting the U-17s completely. Cut the U-17s all out. I like the U-18s because it's a chance to see draft-eligible players. I like the World Juniors because it's the greatest holiday in this country. Yes, I call it a holiday. And it's my favorite time of year. U-18s with the timing, we could argue yep. it's coming into the season yep. and a little bit of preparation, maybe. For sure. Okay. What I want to see, I'm not a big, and I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Branch, but I'm not a big fan of the CHL Russia challenge. There goes Mr. Branch's appearance on this podcast. He's already dodged us. That's true. What I want to see, build a one WHL team, one Ontario Hockey League team, and one QMJHL team. Not None of this in and out of the roster, rotating player. No, build one of each. And I want to see them play a team out of the U.S. National Development and U.S college. Okay. Now you are speaking a language yeah. that I understand. There's lots of talk of what is the better and we talked about it. The CHL goaltenders. We've had two goaltenders out of the US development program taken over the last 4 years. Let's see that the development program 
and NCAA players that are looking to get drafted or already drafted take on the best of major junior in Canada. And let's finally see what is the best league to get drafted out of. So here's the thing. That is such a good idea, Popper. I mean, that is such a good idea. Wow. I, I clip no, this, Paul. I just got a compliment. It's No, that, that is such a good idea that it is guaranteed to never happen. Yeah, you're right. For the very reason that you talk about, right? Because that's what the conversation is at this yeah. level. What is the better route? Do you want to go NCAA? Do you want to go Ontario Hockey League? And don't, or CHL? And don't think for one second, do not think for one second, our issues, yours and mine, with the transparency or lack thereof in this league when it comes to suspensions and the stuff that happens on the ice sometimes. Don't it's a think, wonder branch he's dodging us. <laughs> don't think for one second it's hard to get that information because they don't want it to look like a rougher, tougher, meaner league than the one south of the border. Do not think for one second that's the it's the reason. I'm telling you right now. 100%. 100%. And just the logistics and the insurance, I'm sure, would be a monster headache for all of those people. And I'm sure insurance is a lot for Team Russia coming over too. But, like, at least then we're looking at, I don't know, how, I don't know what would be best and what I'd appreciate more, whether they're all draft-eligible players or whether they're people that have already been drafted or whatever the situation would be. But, like... Bringing over these Russian players into a market like, for instance, Kitchener. Let's use what I know best. Even Owen Sound in years past. Owen Sound's hosted a few of these games. People in Owen Sound and Kitchener don't know who these other players are. They're not going to learn about those other players. The draw is the Ontario Hockey League players and the all-star teams, if you will, quote-unquote, that are being put on the ice. That Kitchener is a ranger town. In, in my mind, they're a ranger town, hockey town second. They want to see these world junior players who have a possibility of making the world junior team, and they enjoy the game. But if you could bring in players from the U.S. development program that, let's say they bring in someone like a Michael Vukojevic who didn't report to K- Kitchener, like if he didn't report, you bring in that Michael Vukojevic, and all of a sudden Kitchener goes, that's the kid that didn't report. Yeah, you know what? I, I think you're I think you're too close to it. I, I really do. I think every town in this league is a club team first of course, town yes. as opposed to being a junior hockey town. So I I'm think, just saying that who who knows number fourteen on Russia? Sure, but who would know number fourteen on the NCAA or US national development team pro, team? But the majority of those players that would be on that team would have already been drafted to a club team in the Ontario Hockey League but perhaps, didn't report. Perhaps. I'd say 95%. I'd say maybe a little less, 85 But point well taken. Right? Then you got, oh, who was he drafted by? Who was who he drafted by? Who did he snub? Exactly. Why and did that he choose draws that the interest. Yeah. And I think more than anything in all of this, I mean, God bless Paul Henderson and everything that the Summit Series was. God bless Phil Esposito for crying out loud and everything that the Summit Series was. But that was so 45 years ago. We, when you look at the U-20s now and, and the World Juniors that you and I have already talked about, and we, we agree is one of the best holiday traditions we could ask for in this country. Yeah. Thank you very much for my Christmas presents. Oh, yeah, the World Juniors open on Boxing Day. What matters? Is, I mean, Canada versus anybody for sure, but over the last decade-ish, I would say, Canada-USA has become the rivalry. I'd even like to see a CHL-wide Canada versus States. So players that are playing yep. in the Canadian Hockey League, yep. American-born. Yep. I remember it wasn't too long ago. We used to 
joke all the time. And in fact, it was during the World Junior Championships. We we had an even split on mm-hmm. the Kitchener Rangers. There were nine or ten, and you know, ten and eleven of the others. And yeah, a lot of American-born kids on the team. And it was it was a great time. The issue there is, I think they'd go too hard. Yeah, could be hundred percent. You're going ham. So why do you have to have good ideas that just get us all excited that are never going to happen? I don't know. Why you got to be that way? I don't know. It's the story of my life. All right. We uh, we still have to get to Sammy Cos and and his most recent rankings. But can can we can we can we pause here momentarily uh, for this commercial timeout? By the way, your commercial could go right here. Oh, I like that. Perfect time for it. Yeah, it would. But I thought we could. Maybe. Well, we've been talking about tournaments be taken out. We talked about the under-17s. I said take it right out. Yeah. Take it right out. Oh, I see what you did there. It's because Shane Wright <laughs> is at the under-17s right now. We got a chance to see Shane Wright in Kingston. You knew where I was going with this. Yes. What did you think? Well, let's talk about this first before we get into what we saw in the media room in Kingston. But what did you think of the latest player to be granted exceptional status, Shane Wright? I don't think he has a lot of a supporting cast. And <laughs> I mean, that's not telling tales out of school. No, right? it's I'm not. not. It says Captain Obvious yeah. over here. Listen, uh, I, I, I don't think I can make a fair judgment on the one view. And kid's got wheels for yep. sure. And what he does with the puck at the speed he is moving is pretty damn impressive. And I will also say, from the bird's eye view in the broadcast booth, you look at Shane Wright on the ice and you have to remind yourself, oh yeah, he's 15. Didn't appear out of place. No, not at all. I I liked a lot about his game. I liked his speed. I liked his hockey sense. The puck seemed to find him a lot. He had a great shot. Um, and I told you on the last podcast before we went up there, harbor your expectations. He's 15 years old. Don't compare him to McDavid, Crosby, Blad and company. Yeah, and I ate the crow last time. I'll remind you again this time. The first viewing I had of Aaron Ekblad, I'm like, this is exceptional. Yeah. But who knows? It's one of his 68 games. It's the only viewing I got of him in the East. In fact, I think he was injured. Anyway, whatever the case was, my first viewing was less than impressive. I remember seeing him the second year, and I thought, boy, Farwell, you were way off on that one. So I, I tried very hard to be realistic about the single viewing we get on a Saturday night in Kingston. Yeah, and two years from now when Shane writes in his draft year and is putting up three points a game, then we'll readdress. Exactly. Because he, he, he's good. He, he just has, like I felt bad for him at times. Like he has no, with all due respect to Kingston and the Frontenacs there, he's their best player. He's 15. Exactly. I mean, their top I'll line leave it at that. was a 15-year-old and two 16-year-olds, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. or 16 and 17. It's a anyway. very young team. All right. Before we get to Sammy Cause's latest rankings, and we'll, we'll dissect those, uh, we always talk about this podcast being an opportunity to come on the road with us. So we get to go, and it's, it's so funny. I just ran into people this week. And they're like, so, so you travel with the team? Like, I don't know how many years I've been doing this now, but yes, when the team goes on the road, you, you know you can listen. So that it's, doesn't go away. Eh? I radio. still it's get not, that. It's so funny. Anyway, yes, we do. And and we thought that might be one of the unique things about this podcast. So we, we, we thought it would be, we missed the opportunity last week. We should, have, we should have brought it up. So we've decided to be bold enough to do that. Just to kind of take you in kind of behind the scenes. And there is a family of sorts. Not just 
when you're traveling with the team and you spend that much time on the road. It was a three-day trip for us through Ottawa and Kingston. But even in the rinks themselves, throughout the hockey season, we have an extended family. So in our home rink, for example, in Kitchener, there's all of the arena staff that we're seeing 34 different times and all of the other people around the game. But even when you're on the road, you see many of the same faces over and over again in the form of scouts. And and you see a lot of the same faces. And I, quite frankly, love it. Because even when you're away from home, it feels like you're somehow connected. You're all out there in these various places, but you're out there together. So we're sitting there in the media room, going over our notes, drinking our coffee, eating some pizza, because that's what they have in the media room. I was eating some of the candy, because they had a candy dish in the media room in Kingston, one of my favorite things. And in walk a couple of the scouts we see Often Now, one is with a team, and I won't get into team names here. That's not necessary. But one, one's with a team, and one's an independent scouting service. But you almost always see these two guys together. They've obviously developed some sort of friendship. So I joked, I said, do you guys carpool? Well, that just set the entire room off. Because, again, some other familiar faces that were there. It was great. It was the, one of the funniest things. And they so the scouts then started chirping one another. And I guess... A couple of the guys who tend to show up together. Are, are you, you going to drop nicknames? Not, that might give them away. You think? Well, only, yeah. only to the scouts that are late. Well, that's fine. Whatever. Okay. A couple of the guys, apparently, Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> a couple of the other guys, Starsky and Hutch. And then they start railing on the one team in particular. Well, you guys, every time I go to a game, I see two of your team scouts. You guys travel in packs? Do you have a whole bus of teams? Honest to goodness, it was one of the funniest things. It reminded me of being in a dressing room. Absolutely. That's what it was. So the scouts of the game have created their, their own uh, fraternity, if you will. And it seems as though like they're all there watching the same people. They know what players are eligible to the, for the draft and they I'm sure they talk about what do you think of this guy what you what you see how did he look last night they all have the same textbook at the draft essentially they some player some scouts have guys higher than others and some have them lower than others but it's all essentially the the textbooks out on the players after a few years uh before or that the, the scouts get to see them so it really is that uh, that fraternity where they're just ripping on each other and it is just outstanding stuff it really is. If you ever get a chance to talk to a scout, make sure there's a couple others around. You'll get the real good stuff. Exactly. <laughs> like, full credit to these guys. And, it, you know, maybe it was just the, the situation and it was a Saturday night and they'd been on the road for a while, but it was a lot of fun. And it, it really just, uh, I don't know, it, it made it feel more homey uh, than it otherwise would have been 400 kilometers away from Kitchener. It was. It was great. I just wanted them to keep going. What else you got? Yeah. <laughs> what else you got? How about this guy? What do you think of him? Well, and what's one, wrong with his hair? I don't know about you, but one of the things that I do all the time in the media room is eavesdrop, right? You want to yeah. hear what these guys are saying about the other guys. And then, of course, once in a while, you poke your nose in there and, and join the conversation. But most of the time, you, you pick up all kinds of great. Hey, guys, don't stop talking. Because you know we're listening to you? Because this is good for us. Yeah. It's very good. <laughs> it's called content. And keep the chirping going, because we enjoy that. It, it was great. Uh, speaking of chirping, do you think there was some chirping going on when Saginaw faced Sudbury the other weekend, and it was Byfield versus Perfetti? Okay, before we get into that, don't think for one second that these guys, these scouts, don't have... We got an interview. Right. Because the travel schedule can be... Ridiculous. We're going to talk to a scout later in this podcast. Don't you worry about Don't it. Don't do it right now? No, no. We'll save the rankings till after. You want to save the rankings? Yeah. You want to go to it right now? Yep. 
Scouts and scouts. All right. Scouts and scouts. If, it, if scouts haven't turned us off already. We, have, a, we have one of your compadres here. You want to call an audible? Yeah. And it's this, this, this conversation with this scout starts with the ridiculous, and I do mean ridiculous, travel schedule he is in the midst of. And oh yeah, by the way, before he became a scout for the Anaheim Ducks, he spent 11 years in the National Hockey League. Ladies and gentlemen, Kitchener native and former Ranger and Knight, Jim Setlack. I wanted to kind of start by what we were talking about on, on Sunday at the odds. So we see you up in North Bay early season. We go on to Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury. You go Sudbury, Barry, back into the GTA. Then we see you Sunday in Kitchener. And here we are on a Wednesday night, no one sound. And tomorrow you get on a plane and go out east to catch some games in the queue. Is this the life you signed up for, Jim? Well, yes, I think it's part of, it must be. I think it's just a, you know, a variation of what I did when I was a player. You know, it's part of the job. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have the summers off like hockey players do. It's just that um, I don't have to train anymore. <laughs> I tell my wife rounds of shape, so I'm in shape. <laughs> I use that all the time, too. Um, going from playing to now scouting, it's obviously a much different game. Do you view the game differently? You know what? Yes, I do now uh, because the times have changed. Uh, you know, the old clutching and grabbing and uh, the big strapping young 18-year-old that you all want in your lineup now, it doesn't have to be big strapping anymore. They're, they could be five foot nine to 6'5", as long as they can skate, got the hockey sense and the skill, and to keep up with today's day and age, and uh, that, that's what we look for now. You're a Kitchener kid. You played one game for the Kitchener Rangers and then became a London Knight. Did that break your heart a little bit? Well, yeah, you know, you always, uh, you always dream of playing for your home uh, your home team. Um, I faithfully went to all the Ranger games on, on Friday nights whenever I wasn't playing my minor hockey games and, and then, uh, you know, getting drafted to London and that's exactly where uh, where home is now. Um, I still have family and relatives that live in the Kitchener uh, area and and uh, I get to visit them frequently so I, I, I try to blend both cities together. How's that? <laughs> Very diplomatic. <laughs> do you remember that game that you played for the Rangers? You know what? Yes, I do. It was actually right here where we're standing. Come on. Yes, it was. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I was only uh, 14 at the time. Um, I have a, a late birthday in December and I remember we were going on from here and I think the weather was terrible if I can recall. Um, and Mike Huff was my roommate, so that's uh, you know dating everybody here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you do remember it. You're nervous as anything, being a, just uh, you know still a teenager at at that time. All right. So from that first game, what about your welcome to the NHL moment? You're a first rounder into the show. What was that moment for you? Well, it's it, it's almost surreal. Um, you, know, you put your gear on and um, you think, wow, I, I'm playing against guys that you idolized growing up like Gretzky and Messier and and guys like that uh, it, it is just so real moment but uh, you know once you're in the moment and you get the first game under your belt then you figure you know what I can do this and uh, you just keep uh, trudging forward and trying to make it as long a career as you can spent the majority of your time in Vancouver I think it was all but 40 games what was it like living out there and playing back then well you know what it was beautiful um I guess you'd see part of the, the attire of your of your dress would be an umbrella. <laughs> we we uh, we nick, nick, nickname it uh, Liquid Sunshine, um, but you know you, you get used to it. But uh, you know eventually we ended up uh, 
you know, bringing once we, uh, my wife and I, we had children, we brought them back obviously for the odd time during the summer, but then we started making that home and longer and longer. And then once I came to the end of my career, it's like, well, we had some family illness, like I'm sure a lot of people out there that are listening to this have, and uh, we just felt it's better to come home and be close to family again. You talked about those players that you grew up watching and played against then, Gretzky, Messier. You played with a guy by the name of Bure, who may somehow get lost in that sometimes. What was it like being on the ice with that guy? Well, you know what? I wasn't on the ice. I wasn't fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> I was on the bench cheering him on. Go, go, go! I had a sore neck because he just kept going zoom, zoom back and forth in front of me. But, yeah, you know what? Just to play with a guy with that kind of talent and that kind of speed and, and quickness of hands, it's just... It, it's. It's incredible. It's 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 a talent that uh, I don't think anybody could ever teach. Uh, you know, it's God gifted, and uh, he he was phenomenal to play with. You were drafted fourth overall. How do you deal with that kind of pressure? Well, at the time, um, it's not as hyped up as it is now. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have the combine. We didn't have the physical testing. My I remember like it was yesterday. My first uh, fitness test in Vancouver was. We had to run around, we were out in Victoria, we had to run around the track, believe it or not, with all our gear on, without your skates and your helmet and your gloves, and you had to run around the, run around the track once, you had to be able to do 10 push-ups and do 10 sit-ups, and if you pass that, get your gear, put your skates and your helmet on, let's go, we're starting to, starting to scrimmage and, and do training camp. But Fitness the, testing 101, eh? Oh yeah, nowadays, geez, they can't even take an, an hour off, and these guys, they're testing everything from the color of your hair to the, to the size of your muscles, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You had to play the game. You, not, you didn't have to. You played the game a, a certain way. You were a physical guy. It obviously took a toll on your body through your career. Uh, do you think the game's in a better place today, or do you, do you miss and maybe long for that uh, rough-and-tumble style? Well, I think um, uh, the, the rules that have changed are for the good uh, overall, but um, the accountability, I think, is, is something that still needs to be addressed. And I'm not saying I'm all in for fighting. You know, I don't. I, I'm beyond that now. I, I, I've I've learned to adapt my scouting ways that way. Um, but accountability and that that's gone by the wayside. So you know, guys can get away with everything. And then now, instead of being accountable, they just take it out of your pay, out of your paycheck and your pocketbook by finding you. So it, you know, it's good in one way, and in my opinion, and negative in the other. So I don't think there's really a happy medium. That's just the way the game's gone. You mentioned the running around the track in your gear. Is that the one thing that you look back on your playing career and the way the game is now where you're like, how did that happen? Or was there something else where you're like, how, how was that allowed? Yeah, you know what, that's, I think that's just the way they, that, that was the standard back then. It's the, it, it wasn't, the, uh, wasn't the body testing and the blood testing and the fat testing. And if you could get around the track once, I guess you're not fat. <laughs> so I don't know. Or, 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 or that's, so I don't know how they did it. And, and then it started progressing as my career started going on and on and on. And, and then in the early 80s, we started getting uh, into the um, University of Vancouver where we, you know, we did the fat tank. And, and then we started getting into that stuff. But nowadays, the stuff they do is incredible. You talked, Jim, about sort of the way you, you scout now based on the kinds of players that you're looking for and, and the way they're just dif- they're made up differently. How, how has that changed the way you view the game? Well, I think it's, it, the first and foremost is the way I view it is it, it, do they ha- are they self-starter? Do they have a high engine all the time? Um, do they compete? I don't care what the score is. I, I, I selfishly got to say I don't care who wins even though I'm alumni of the Kitchen Rangers, as, as we're speaking about right now, or the London Knights, I'm there to see how they perform in every situation. 
You could be up 5 nothing. You could be down 5 nothing. I want to see if your motor is still consistent and how you go about doing your job to help the Anaheim Ducks four years from now down the road. Can you help us? And that's what we look for. On the scouting note, some people may believe that you see one player one time and then, okay, I, he, he had a bad game, I'm done with him. Or other people, <laughs> other people think that, like, you know, you're watching every game. How many times do you have to watch a player to get a really good understanding of the kind of player and the kind of person that he is? I would have to say minimum six. That's my own personal opinion. Um, not only six times because the player could be off one day or, or on the next day, could have had a career weekend then he, he's not so good the next weekend. But I also got to evaluate myself. I look at myself in the mirror and say, how was your travel that day? Were you tired? Were you any issues on the road? Um, flight delays? You got to, I put all that into perspective to give the, each individual, I don't want to say child, they're, they're young men, an opportunity to, to, to put their best foot forward. And so I evaluate myself before I actually evaluate the players and say, what kind of day did I have before I got here? So that's what, how I go about it. Did you envision yourself being in the game in this manner after you retired from playing? No, actually not. Um, I actually started out in the grocery industry at a Food Basics with my brother-in-law uh, in London. Uh, I did that for nine years, and then I got out of that. And, and then uh, uh, everybody that, that's listening knows that these, all these boys billet. So my billet family introduced me to my wife, and that's how I got into the grocery industry. Yeah. So then my billet family, once I retired out of the grocery industry, I got into the interlock paving stones and construction building retaining walls, and then after three years of that, my both boys were established and starting their path of life, and I'm like, I want to try to get back into hockey if I can, and this is my 12th year with the Ducks. One of your sons played hockey, played in this league. Your other son was a uh, Waterloo football player. Yes. Um, what's it mean to see those, those accolades in your son's success? Well, you know what? It's actually fun. You sit back and you, you know, you 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 hope and dream that either one of them or both could could do what I did. Um, one stopped playing after football, he got to university, and now he's uh, he's into the uh, technical industry in the world now. And and then my young guy, he uh, gave it a good, honest kick at the can. Got a few exhibition games as an NHLer and uh, couldn't quite uh, cut the mustard and. And then he floundered around down in the American League and the East Coast League, and then uh, this is his actually his second year as a as a full time American League uh, official now. We talk about that all the time, Jim. Sort of that that fine line between uh, the players that do and the players that do not make it. Obviously, you were very fortunate in an eleven year NHL career, but how fine is that line between you know the step from getting out of this league and into the National Hockey League? Well, now I think more and more because not only is it talent-driven, but it's salary-driven. Um, you know, you've got the top dogs and the top six on every NHL club that are making anywhere from 6 to $12 million, and then everybody else is a packing order underneath it. Doesn't maybe how doesn't matter how good you are. If there's no room in the salary cap, then you've got to still nurture and, and grow down in the minors, which is that's part of the business, and that's the way it's gone. And, and, and I think it's better for, for, the, for the league because there's so much parity now from top to bottom in the NHL. You spent two years with Team Canada at the World Junior Championships, captain the one year. I read an, an answer you gave a reporter, and I'm hoping I can kind of get the same answer because I loved it. But do you take more from the year that you won or the year that you lost? Yeah, no, the year you lost. Obviously, um, you, you, you learn what you could have done better, what you could have done more of. 
Um, obviously, the, to play for your country two years in a row, I don't think uh, it comes down to anybody that's played on any country team. It doesn't come down to will or heart or all the stuff that we actually look for as scouts. Um, it just comes down to, well, maybe if we did this a little different or that a little different. But you know what? That's the way she goes. And um, I have a gold and a silver, and I'm very proud of them. Um, the gold obviously hangs a little higher than the silver. <laughs> Are they part of that rec room somewhere? Yes, they are. Actually, you know what? My wife, uh, the, my uh, my uh, year I actually uh, retired from the National Hockey League, um, she had it put in a shadow box with my medal put around it, and then she actually went about her own way of calling the NHL Players Association at the time, and she actually got every one of my hockey cards framed with a photo, and it's hanging uh, beside it. That's special. Yeah, it's so special. It's it's unbelievable. I cherish it, and you can actually take it off the wall and flip it around. You can read everything on the back of it, too. Like, she she really did an awesome job, and that was a very emotional Christmas. How's that? <laughs> Shout out to your billet parents, eh? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a nice find. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. All the credit goes to her for that, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Lastly, real quick, because we got to go, and I know you got to go finish your stuff. Thanks a lot for taking the time. But My pleasure. It, you, you read up on you, and known as House, because of your size when you got into the league. Now your size is about, I think you're the size of Quinton Byfield. Yeah. Uh, maybe even smaller. Um, where, where did the nickname come from? Actually, believe it or not, Vancouver Canucks general manager Jim Benning. He got traded from the Toronto Maple Leafs to our, uh, to our Vancouver Canucks, and he walked in, and I happened to be one of the first guys he met there, and he goes, oh, my word, <laughs> you are as big as a house. And it stuck. It's been house, and everybody called. I just had a couple scouts in there. Hey, house, how you doing? Are you here? Like, yeah, so it's, it's stuck, and it's, it's something that's growing on me, and it is what it is. I can't shrink. <laughs> It's always fun seeing you around the ring, Jim. Thanks so much for this. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks very much for having me on tonight. If you're ever at the game and looking, to, as I mentioned, if you want to talk to a scout and you want to talk to Jimmy Sandlock, find the biggest guy in the arena. <laughs> All this time, we didn't know his nickname was House. House. What a it. name. It fits. House. It fits. But it's it's funny. Like you, He gets that nickname for being so large. That's Quentin Byfield right now. There are, like, the size of the players nowadays has just changed so drastically. And thanks to Jimmy for taking the time. We pulled him out of the media room during a meal in on sound. Um, and I, I just appreciate the time. It was a great, great chat. Well, it's funny because we had seen him a couple of days earlier and said, hey, you know, we'd love to chat sometime. He, oh, yeah, yeah. After a 10-minute conversation. <laughs> That's true. He comes in. It was one of those kind of casual things. We'd love to get you on the podcast. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be in on side. I'll see you on the Wednesday night at when yeah. we were up there. And he got there late, though. And we're like, oh, geez, you know. But, yeah, sure enough, right in the middle of it, yeah, I'll come, guys. Let's go. Yeah, it's great guy. Solid citizen. So it's interesting. You bring up Byfield and the size comparison, obviously. But I was coming into this season, no disrespect, Quinton, uh, but – I'm so impressed by what Cole Perfetti did. And maybe it's because you didn't hear quite as much about Perfetti as you did Byfield. You've always been a Byfield guy more than a Perfetti guy. To not take anything away from Perfetti. But <laughs> no, I'll take been... either of them on my team. Exactly. <laughs> Please. But when when Sam Causes from Sportsnet, uh, from Sportsnet, his first rankings came out, he had Perfetti two spots ahead of Byfield, and I'm puffing my chest out a little bit going, yeah, Sam Cosney, same page with Cole Perfetti. And even though Perfetti went on an absolute tear a couple of weeks ago to put himself right in the conversation of top scorers in the Ontario Hockey League, 
Sam Cause has cooled off a little bit month to month because his November rankings have Byfield up two spots and Perfetti down three. Yeah, I'm not I'm not shocked to be honest with you. Um Quentin Byfield is having a statement year to to say the least. He's 33 points right now, Perfetti 29. Um I think whichever NHL team gets either of them, they're going to be pleasantly uh I don't want to say surprised, but they're going to be pleasant or they're going to be happy that they got them because they're two elite players. But I've mentioned before and we do these podcasts and we talk about similar things from time to time on the air. So I forget whether I mentioned it on the podcast or on air. But Just listen on air. 570news.com, Radio Player Canada app. Even if you don't give a tinker's darn about the Kitchener Rangers, check out our pregame show, our postgame show, our intermissions. And you get words like tinker's darn. You're welcome. Um, it, it's fun watching those two because much like when we look at the National Hockey League and we talk about the two best players in the world, Sidney Crosby... Connor McDavid, two completely different style of players. Wait a minute. You're leaving Alexander Ovechkin out of that? Top yeah, players in the world? Absolutely. Top okay. two? Yeah, it's not close. I'm, there's there's not an argument. If you're trying to make one, you're wrong. Um, not close to everyone. It's McDavid, Crosby, Crosby, McDavid. Okay. Um, they're two totally different style of players, and it's quite similar to what we're seeing with Perfetti Byfield. Byfield gets the puck, and he's gone. See you later. That's where the majority of his points come. Uh, Perfetti, much more of a setup guy. Can can score, obviously. He's a sniper. He's got a fantastic shot. That's how he scored, what, 36 last year in his rookie 37, season? 37, yeah. 37, which is crazy. Um, but they're just, they play the game completely different. And I love watching that because there's so many ways you can be successful in this game. You get defensemen that can be complete shutdown guys, high off the glass, make your living that way, or you got guys that j- jumping up in the play trying to put up 50 points. Um, I love the different aspects that we have. These two guys that everyone's talking about, and all eyes are on this year, and yet they play completely different styles. We've seen both of these guys twice already this season. Now, Saginaw was in for the season opener in Kitchener, and Perfetti was remarkably quiet. Yep. We saw Byfield week two when the Rangers were on the road in Sudbury, and Byfield was, you put it so well, Popper, when you talked about every time you touched the puck, the building came to it life. It was unbelievable. It, and it, it was so good. I, I left that road trip and thinking, okay, I was off on my Perfetti Byfield, Byfield Perfetti. But then wouldn't you know, and so we spend the next couple of podcasts and broadcasts talking about, hey, fans, Sudbury Wolves are coming to town on Thanksgiving Monday. Get your tickets now because you want to see Byfield. And quite frankly, he was quiet on yeah. Thanksgiving Day. The next time we see Cole Perfetti, he goes for four points, two and two against the Rangers. And you remember the power play goal he scored? The Do one-time I? shot. I mean, I still don't think Lucas File has seen it. I, oh, yeah, he came out from around the net, circled, they gave him room, he turned around at the face-off off, and roofed one short side. It was no goalie in the league was stopping that. It was a rocket. And I'm sure something Saginaw Spirit fans have seen over and over and over and over. The good thing is we get to see Perfetti two more times this season. Unfortunately, we're done with the Byfield viewings. So Unless we'll you watch the CHL versus Russia. Yeah, is okay. he on that team? Uh, probably. So Sam Cause in October had Perfetti two, Byfield four. In November, Sammy Cause has got Byfield two, Perfetti five. However, our boy Sammy does keep four OHLers in his top ten in October with Perfetti 2, Byfield 4, 
He had Marco Rossi sixth and Jamie Drysdale out of Erie eighth. In November, they each dropped one spot. Rossi is now seven. Drysdale is now nine in Sam Cause's rankings. So Cause has been overseas watching some uh, German leagues. And I'll be blunt with you. He's got, yeah, he's got names in here that I am completely and utterly unfamiliar with. So... Sure, he's got yeah, his he knows, tentacles into the European yeah, teams. He knows more about the draft-eligible players than, than you and I do. He sees them a lot more. Um, I think that, I, I honestly believe Byfield is head and shoulders above everybody else that's draft-eligible in the Ontario Hockey League. Perfetti's right there, um, but Byfield just brings some... His A former player told me once, a defenseman, and he said, I was drafted above this other guy. And he just laughed. He's like, seriously. And he said, uh, they draft you for what you want, or they, they they draft you for the player you're going to become, not the player you are. And this other player he mentioned was by far a better OHLer than he was. No offense. Um, and I think that's where you get the Byfield much ahead of Perfetti. Byfield could play in your top six. He can play in your bottom six. That speed he brings to the game right now is where the game is going that speed aspect and he can do things at a high level of speed. He's still shifty. He's still got nice hands. He can put the puck in, um, in tight. He can score in tight. He just provides almost the carbon copy of an NHL player that you want. A lot of people have compared him to, and I don't like making this comparison because I think he was the most dominant junior player in recent memory. They compare him to Eric Lindros, a big body that can move, that scores and does whatever he wants. Yeah. I can see the comparisons because of that yeah. and, and the big body, but it's not fair. Lindros, can I, I? I think I can. I think I will. One of a kind. Hundred percent. Bro, broke the mold. Yeah, but absolutely. You, we've seen big players that essentially assert themselves and do what they want, but not like Biggie. Yeah. Not even a little bit like no. him. He came into the league and said, "Mine. It, it, this is my league now." It's funny you bring up that quote. They don't draft you for the player you are. They draft you for the player you're going to become. Because I've not forgotten you've mentioned that to me before and that's why i mean i'm sorry cole i i know i started this season by saying perfetti byfield but jeepers creepers i i don't know how you don't go byfield perfetti when you're looking at the the guys to come out of the o and look jamie drysdale is a, is a real nice player love watching the kid uh, not surprised he still sits in sam causes top 10 he would yep. he would certainly fall in my top five ohlers skating for the alone. draft Absolutely. And Marco Rossi goes without saying. I, I finally got to see Rossi after the, like once, I think I've seen him twice in the last like two years. And I think the first time was game two of last year. So he's come a long way and oh man, did he ever make an impact in that game in Ottawa? We saw him. He was unbelievable in that game. I thought he was all over the place, skating all three zones, you know, responsible in his defensive end, forechecking, back checking, back pressure on the puck carrier. I thought he was just fantastic all around Marco Rossi. I had a inkling that he was just kind of trying to make up for the time he lost to his five-game suspension. Yeah, he, was, and he was all over the place. Dominant, yeah. He was all over the place. There's not many players that you, like, or not many games you see a player where you're like, is that him again? Like, how much ice is he playing today? He, the puck just found him. He was all over the place. He was relentless. Things are, uh, are starting to settle in. They to are. the Ontario Hockey League. We're almost league at right the quarter now. point. I was going to say, I know we can't talk about standings, but the Ottawa 67s, that team we're talking about right now, six wins in a row, eight of their past 10. We already talked earlier on this podcast. We paid homage to the run that was 
for the Sioux Greyhounds. I'm I'm waiting to be proven wrong, but a 4-0 start followed by two wins in their next 13 is kind of yucky. Uh, but the Oshawa Generals are a team we're going to get to see this week, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that team because this is a team that started 9-0. and 9-0. and Three and three since then. Nothing wrong with that, but 500 is kind of, sort of, sort of, kind of where you expected to see this team. You can't, you can't dismiss 9-0. and I still think it's got something to do with the Eastern Conference and the teams you get to feed on when you're even decent in the East this year. But Sarah Noel, yeah, great player, can't wait to see him. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the Oshawa Generals up close this weekend. Brett Newman, there are some players. Alan McShane. On that Oshawa Generals team. I want to see if Andrew McLean really has changed since he was up in one sound. Is he really? Because he was, he was very streaky as an attack. And that's where I thought the 9-0 and start. Okay. Now, when when's the other side of that streak coming along? And I want to see how much his game has changed. Um, but you talk about Ottawa. The... Coming into the the season, they were the team everyone was talking about, and I think that they got off to a bit of a slow start. Probably thought things were gonna. There's, it's a facelift of a team. They still have a big pieces, but they lost a lot of guys. Uh, Shemolevsky was their big guy up front. They lost him. They lost their overagers. They lost Di Pietro. Um, I think that uh, something seems to have changed with that sixty sevens team, and let's just call it the Garaf factor. Wow, that's what you're gonna do, eh? Uh, do you know, Popper? That's uh, awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Almost half the league. Seven. Half the league, almost half the league has played its 17 games. Well, we're almost there. I can't wait till next week's podcast. You just love the standings. Talk eh? some standings. I don't even know where anyone is. You know, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow. Okay, Don. You're welcome. Thought I'd throw that in there. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope Podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.